peace of Christ be with you. As we gather for worship, I invite you to slow down and take a few deep breaths that you might arrive fully present here and that you might open up to recognize the presence of the living spirit with us all here and now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. Blessed with occasions of grace. We are called to pay due attention to our lives. Graced with acts of generosity. We are called to learn what it means to be. Given what we need for this moment. You may be seated. I do want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be together today. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I invite you after worship out to our garden area. We have coffee and tea and some snacks out there. Um, and I invite you to maybe find someone you haven't met yet or find someone you don't really know very well and uh, get to know each other just a little better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we live in a world plagued by the seeming necessity of self-promotion. We want to be free of this march, of this strange capacity, free for something deeper and greater. Self, for the healing and care of the world and the honoring of God. Sometimes we relegate Christ only to the annals of history, but the Spirit is calling us to write living Gospels with our lives. Forgive us where we are bound, help us to free others and grow in our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, God's mercy extends beyond the bounds of even our collective imagination. 
God's love seeps through any wall that we could put up. God's goodness holds more power than the sum of all our bad decisions. So know that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now as we continue in our time of prayer, this is the time where we share our joys and concerns with one another so that we may be in prayer together. Certainly I'm aware that today is Mother's Day. We hold in prayer all those who are celebrating today. We also hold in prayer those for whom today is a difficult day, realizing this, this day can have a lot of emotions. So how about you? What, what are your prayers today? Yes, Lee. So to give a little context, if you're not quite sure what Lee's talking about, is Lee is a quilter. Um, and several weeks ago, Lee donated a quilt, or basically put a quilt up for a raffle, and all the proceeds have been benefiting our high school youth ministry. Um, and so several of you have participated in that raffle. Um, the high school youth ministry has benefited from those funds, and we just held the drawing yesterday for that. Other joys or concerns? Yes, Deb. Amen. It, oh, amen, and we are happy to have you both with us. It would certainly be an interesting conversation in that lobby. <laughs> I'd like to be a part of that. Other, other joys and concerns to share? Yeah, Rebecca. And so Rebecca prays for her 100-year-old grandmother who is nearing the end of her life, just praying that these, the passing, whatever it may be, is full of love and comfort. Amen. Else? All right. Let's just take a few moments in quiet. Oh, wait. Are you pointing to somebody? Oh, Ruthie, yes. Sorry. Yeah, please. So if you, if you couldn't hear Ruthie, she and Clark attended a fundraising concert last night in Petaluma to benefit the people of the Ukraine, uh, filled with all kinds of music presented by people with Ukrainian roots. Oh, it must have been a, a joy. Amen. So let's now take just a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us together in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer.
Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and we give you thanks. And hear us now, as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Amen. I'd like now to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning. Good to see you all. We got one more coming. All right. So I was thinking the other day that it might be fun to throw a party. Yay, exactly. Thank you very much. Can we get cake? These are important questions. All parties should have cake. All parties should get cake. But I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, if I'm really throwing a party, I want some VIPs at my party. Very important people. So I started, 
Um, so I started sending out some invitations to some VIPs. I thought maybe the Tiburon mayor, you know, that might be important for them to come. So they, they sent their RSVP back to me. I'm, I'm just figuring out, oh, wait a minute. Tiburon mayor has a new house and is in the process of moving. Not going to be available. Hmm. So then I thought, well, maybe the principal of Tam High, we have a lot of students at this church that go to Tam High. That's a VIP that maybe should come to the party. So let's see what they said. Let's see. Hmm. They have a new dog, and it's hard to leave the dog, so they're going to have to stay home. Well, strike two. So then I, I tried the, the manager of the Nugget over there. That's a very important person, right? They're neighbors. They're neighbors, right? It's important to get to know our neighbors. So the Nugget manager, oh, wait a minute. Their daughter's getting married soon. They're way too busy to be able to attend a party. Mm, this is not looking good. So it makes me wonder, maybe I need to expand my notion of who the VIPs are, who the very important people are. I heard Rob say he would come as a VIP. Absolutely. Then Liam agreed. I, th I think all of you should come as VIPs because you certainly are VIPs, right? Very important people. Well, we're going to discuss that. Liam's wondering if there's actually a party. We're going to discuss that in Sunday school. How about all these people out here? I think we should invite them. I mean, there's some serious VIPs out there, right? Absolutely. Oh, hmm, hmm, I'm having some disagreement. Or should it be a kids-only event or should it be an adult event? Oh, okay. So, but now I'm thinking, now I'm thinking there must, even if we do a kids-only, although I don't know if I'd like to exclude anyone, there must be folks you know that we could invite you know, they're all VIPs, right? And then I'm especially thinking, think about kids you know, maybe at school or through other activities you do, maybe who, maybe who don't get invited to a party very often. Maybe we, could, maybe we could invite them because certainly they're VIPs, right? We can just keep drawing our circle wider and wider and wider with our invitations and make sure everyone knows that they are VIPs. I think this sounds pretty darn wonderful, all right? So, is this real or am I just making up a story? Liam wants to know. We'll talk more about that. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to head to Sunday school now, all right? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround Our first scripture reading today is from the book of Acts. Listen for how the Spirit is speaking to you through these words. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Bethany's gone to teach Sunday school, but were she here, I, w I was going to ask her if that was true. Did the mayor really get a new house? And they <laughs> Otherwise, we've blasphemed our neighbors here. This poor Tam principal. 
too good for us. Listen for what the Spirit continues to say to us here and now with the second reading from John's Gospel. The 21st chapter, verses 20 to 25. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. And Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them down. And we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. And this is the part I want you to pay attention to for today. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is holy wisdom holy word. Thanks be to God. Here's something out of this world. When uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were making those first historic steps on the surface of the moon, Michael Collins was stuck orbiting by himself in that module, drawing the short stick, you might say. So close and yet so far. And uh, Collins died last year. And if you've ever read anything of his, you know that he's a beautiful writer. And so after his death, stories started to recirculate about his tales of being an astronaut, including a, uh, an account of just that moment, the moment when uh, the module went to the dark side of the moon, the other side where even the astronauts who were on the moon weren't, and he was truly alone. He describes that moment like this. He talked about the moment when, quote, the radio contact with the Earth abruptly cuts off. And at that instant, Collins says, I disappear behind the moon. I am alone now, truly alone, and absolutely isolated from any known life. I am it. If a count were taken, the score would be three billion plus two over on the other side of the moon, and one plus God only knows what on this side. He continues, outside my window, I can see stars, and that is all. Where I known the moon to be, there is simply a black void. The moon's presence is defined solely by the absence of stars. To compare that sensation with something terrestrial, he says, it's perhaps like being alone in a skiff in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a pitch black night. That would most nearly approximate my situation. Can you imagine that level of loneliness? <laughs> that level of isolation, of disconnectedness, of floating where you have no idea what's ahead of you. No one's ever been there before. Well, perhaps you can. I mean, in fact, Collins at least had a course and a gravity that was pulling him round. Sometimes life feels as though we're utterly untethered from anything familiar or safe or grounding. And we're totally adrift. And we feel entirely disconnected from one another and maybe from God, our faith, something deeper than ourselves. Well, if you felt that kind of experience on any level, then you're in a good position to connect with the disciples. The disciples in the aftermath of Jesus. Even with Jesus' resurrection after the crucifixion, this wasn't quite the ending that many were expecting. 
And eventually he was gone again, though he said he would be with them. But they have to sort of figure out in all the complexity of human life and navigating a complicated culture and set of dangers, they had to figure out how to carry on, still orbiting around the one who reflected the great light of God. That's what a disciple does. They orbit around the one who reflects the great light of God. And they had to figure out how to do that. And as time went on, they wrote the Gospels, decades likely after. At first, there was no need for them. But then as life carried on, they had to learn to remember and to learn to sense God and Christ in their presence. But because of that, because there is time that passed, there's a lot of debate among scholars about those Gospels and what's in them. Did the stories all happen exactly uh, as a video camera would have captured them? Well, that's tricky because the Gospels seem to disagree on some points. Did Jesus say every word exactly as quoted? Or were the stories also shaped by the questions and the experiences and the circumstances of the ones who were writing them down? Big things that happened. The temple had been destroyed. That completely upended Jewish religion. So it makes sense that you might tell an old story in light of current questions or circumstances. Well, for some, this kind of talk is threatening. It feels a little bit uh, stretching the boundaries, maybe pushing a little bit, makes you uncomfortable. So to that notion that perhaps the Gospels contain things that Jesus didn't actually say or do. Theologian and Episcopal priest Matthew Fox has a surprising reaction. You know what he says to that notion? Good! Right? That's sort of a stag. Why would a priest say good? You're telling me it did, maybe didn't happen exactly that way? Fox says, wonderful! In fact, it's right there in your bulletin. I'll, I'll read you the quote. He says this, I've always marveled at how confident early Christians were in their own spiritual experiences that they did not hesitate to put words in Jesus's mouth. Now, again, this is going to be a stretch for some people. Fox did not only say, don't worry about it. He said, celebrate it. Why would he say such a thing? Well, one reason he would say such a thing is that witness of those early disciples was a testament to their faith, that they were so in touch with the Christ they could, that they could imagine stories of him that were true, even if they didn't exactly happen that way. I think a nun once said, the Bible is the story of the way it never was and always is. That's beautiful. The nuns often get this. Well, the obvious question that's begging to be asked is, wait a minute. You're telling me then you can just say whatever you want about Jesus to fit your own agenda, uh, born out of your own ego to accomplish what you want to do for your own selfish gain? That seems awfully dangerous. But that's not at all what Fox is saying. Two things are important in his quote there. The first is legitimacy of spiritual experience, religious experience. And many of you have been taught to doubt that because you need me to affirm it for you. But you don't need me to affirm it for you. That we can have legitimate experiences of the divine, one and all, silly robe or normal outfit. Two, though, it doesn't mean you get to just say whatever you want because it has to be cultivated through spiritual practice and it has to happen in the context of spiritual community, which prevents one person from going rogue and spouting dangerous things that they've supposedly heard from God, whether they think they have or they've made it up. The community can pull them in and says, well, that is not the Christ that we know. It's not the Christ of the tradition of the scriptures that does not seem in sync with that Christ pulling that person back in. So experience is legitimate, but community holds us accountable. 
But Fox invites us not to just relegate Jesus to the books, to the books of a very old book, but rather to also recognize him here and now. And the Christian conviction has always been that Christ is present. Look at John's gospel. Look at how it starts. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We affirm that Christ was at the beginning of all creation. We know how the story ends. After the cross, people continue to have an experience of the living Christ. Christ is not bound to those days. And Christians are called then to learn to recognize Christ and imagine Imagine how that Christ has walked and walks upon the earth. John bears witness to this himself, or the author of John does. Did you hear that last line that I pointed your attention to from verse 25? But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all those stories. Somebody after the 830 service said, I'd like to hear that passage as the world couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle the kind of truth he brought. That's a lovely interpretation. I think of it on two additional levels. First, think of all those moments, Jesus healing or teaching or coming alongside people that were lost. That were maybe passed down from one family to another, but never made it into a book. Or those moments that nobody was there to see and publicize, but they happened nonetheless. So many of those that were told that they could fill more than a world full of books. And yet if we did the math, and somebody at the 830 service started to do the math, <laughs> one could assume that every moment of his life could be written 33 years in books that fit in the world. So there must be a deeper level with which we're to hear that passage. And I think that deeper level is that truth that Christ is boundless, existed before and after the earthly life of Jesus of Nazareth, which means God has always been writing gospels and God is calling us to write living gospels with our lives, unwritten scriptures. What would it look if you took as an assignment this week to go home and write your own gospel? Wouldn't that be fun if we came together and we read them? That we could vote which ones seemed in and out, right? I mean, it would might hurt feelings a little bit, but that's how a community holds itself accountable. Wouldn't that be incredible to imagine that? It's quite a democratic spirituality, isn't it? To say that this one is accessible to us. Yes, the tradition exists for a reason, to provide a container, a community, a place, a, some framework but it's meant to usher us into a place of expansiveness and openness and growth and contact, not meant to squeeze us into a little place where we don't feel like we can be a part of it. That's what good Christian tradition and community does. It's accessible. You heard that in the passage from Acts. It's actually confounding. I was uh, with some colleagues this past week on continuing education. One of the guys has taken to reading Seneca uh, a lot. Seneca, who was a contemporary, Roman philosopher, contemporary of the Gospels. And he was talking about all the lofty ideas he talks about and clearly who he's writing for. And it's not like the Gospels, which is very folksy. And remember what Acts says about the people. They were, people were sort of blown away by this. These people are ordinary and uneducated, and yet they have access. And that access gives them wisdom and courage and guidance and power to do things in the name of that spirit. Now, people get this wrong. You have to be careful. Paul talks about, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a mistranslation. Because people have taken that to mean I can do anything I want through Christ. A better translation is I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And the these refers to a long list of sufferings that Paul has gone through for the sake of the gospel. So this is not your ticket to a billion dollars or your own personal fame and wealth. 
You can do what the gospel calls you to do through Christ who strengthens, present tense, you. So we can, and in fact we are called, it's our vocation, to breathe these gospels through holy imagination to life in our world. Imagination is a sacred and spiritual practice, one that should be cultivated. It's built on listening and watching for the signs of God and then giving it form in the world. Well, sadly, the church has not always trusted that. Alexander John Scott was pushed out of the Church of Scotland in 1831 because he refused to be squeezed into a box that he could not accept. Even though he was a faithful person, he would not sign on to the Westminster Confession of Faith, our namesake. It's in our book of confessions to this day. But for a while, it was the one and only confession, and you had to sign on to it in a certain way or you were out. Every elder here has made a vow to our book of confessions, which includes that as a corpus, as a conversation with all the other confessions. And at his trial, he was excoriated for his, quote, novelties and imaginations. <laughs> Amen. Bless his heart. Push that imagination down because we can't control it. But his imagination was holy. It was not reckless. It was deeply in tuned with the living Christ. So he left. That can happen to us. But we, who are named for that confession, are different. Pledged to be different, to try and be different, to be a vessel that helps open people to the Spirit, not conformed to my particular doctrine of the Spirit, the tradition. And thankfully, there are those who are sent to us, I believe, who continue to show us how to do this, each in our own way, in a way that fits our particular gifts and orientations and settings. Father Albert Fritsch, he was a Jesuit, also had a PhD in chemistry, and he had a religious experience. Now, you say, well, of course he did. He's a priest. Uh, it happened after he became a priest. And I'll say that most of us of the cloth got here because we're searching, not because we found. We just want to spend more time searching. So we're a lot more like you than you might think. So he was in Jerusalem, and he's visiting the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where the, the, the church that's built around the place where Jesus' body was placed after he was killed. And he came forward and approached the rock where Jesus' body was supposedly laid. Now, if you're wondering, is that really the rock? You're stuck in the wrong questions again. So he comes to the rock, and it's blocked off by this um, shield to protect it, but it has two holes in it. And so Fritsch sticks his hands through the holes over the stone where Jesus' body was said to have been laid. And he heard the voice of Jesus. And it said to them, to him, what have they done to my earth? A seven-word gospel. What have they done to my earth? Fritsch took that as a gospel question, prompting an answer in his life. So he went home and he founded the Center for Science and the Public Interest, located in Washington, D.C., in an Appalachia, where he is still a parish priest. And dedicated his, a good part of his life in ministry to science that will help us come into better relationship with the earth. He has a website called Earth Healing, bringing the spiritual notion to that as well. That's a powerful gospel that he has written with his life. And we can do that too. Now, I may have given you the impression from the outset that when Collins orbited to the dark side of the moon, he was terribly frightened, perhaps existentially so, that he was so disconnected and cut off and it was a moment of terror. If I gave you that impression, I succeeded. And I misled you. Because that's not at all how he experienced that moment. 
When he floated to the dark side of the moon, uncharted territory, against all reasonable expectations, he found the experience invigorating. I feel this powerfully, he wrote, not as fear or loneliness, but as awareness and as anticipation, satisfaction, confidence, almost exaltation. I think of the Christian word doxology, being praise. He was bursting with praise. I like the feeling, he says, outside my windows, I can see stars, and that's all stars. Thousands of suns, because the world cannot contain all the stories of the Christ. The disciples, like Collins, did not believe that they were just floating aimlessly, that they had been cut off in a fundamental sense and left to a meaningless world adrift in the void. They made their life orbiting around the one that reflected the great light of God. And they breathed that into their world. And they practiced looking for it and listening for it and imagining it into being. And we can too. Can you imagine that? Can you? Amen.
You may be seated. There is so much happening in the life of this community. It's amazing how much it sort of roared back to life. I can't say everything, but I would like to highlight a few things. As always, look at your bulletin. Check your e-news. If you're not on the e-news list, let us know so we can put you on it. It's the best way to get information. But again, a few to highlight. Um, the, the first is Outreach has notified me that they've had a lot of interest in build, doing this Habitat build, which is uh, here in your bulletin, um, the Interfaith Day, uh, as well as the Playhouse build. But they've gotten few commitments, and they really need to know. So I urge you to take that, hmm, that would be interesting, and turn it into, yes, I'm coming. And uh, tell Kurt Peterson particularly about that All Faiths Workday, what a special day where just three people from the congregation get to go and be with people from other faith traditions to do that build. So please let us know uh, as soon as you can around that. Uh, similarly, next week we're having a really exciting event, um, but I get the sense there's some trepidation about it. It's put on by the Legacy Fund. And it's a wonderful chance for us to share about what including the church in your plans can mean. And I don't know if that feels too fundraising for people and they're like, I don't want to, you know, giving fatigue and all of that. But let me frame it for you in a more realistic way. It's a chance to be with your fellow church members and interested folks, to hear incredible music from some of the people who lead music here week after week, uh, including our own Ruthie and Clark uh, Glenn Burke and his band, Michael Hatfield, a number of people from the church. Jennifer, you're, I, yeah, you'll be singing. So the chance to hear wonderful music, have good wine, if that's your pleasure, some good food, good conversation, a nice meal together. And yes, we will talk about what the Legacy Fund does and what it means, and you'll be invited in a general sense to remember the church in your plans, but you will, you will not be asked to stand and be counted. Uh, you will never be asked to tell us an amount. Uh, so it's not about that. So if you're feeling that's too, too much like putting you on the spot, it, it's, that's not the vibe we're going for. We want to share this thing. We love this thing. We want to keep it going. We want to make sure people know how they can support it even after their time here in that form is done. That's all. Nothing to be afraid of. So I'd love to see you there. Otherwise, I'll eat all the food. Um, and let's see here. I don't know what that one means. If, um, oh, I know, uh, two more. Uh, I digress. Uh, Tracy in the office, which I, I hope, who I hope many of you have had the chance to meet, is away for the next couple weeks. So Diane Newman is faithfully filling in on a limited basis. So the hours, and this was in the E News, so you, this shouldn't be new to you, but the hours may be a little more limited. Bethany and I are here a lot, but we often are out doing things or in appointments. So if you need access to the building and you're not, sure when things are going to be open, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. But just keep your eyes open for what the true hours uh, of the building are. And finally, I was away last week, so I'm sorry to miss the committee fair. I know the chairs and the committees did a lot of work and good work trying to show all the various groups that helped the church happen. And I know there was good energy there. I know a lot of people went and checked it out. I encourage you now to take the next step and say, hey, I was really interested in outreach and the the work they do in the community, but now I want to I be a part of that in an active way. So take your intrigue from last week and I encourage you to turn it into action by reaching out. And if you need help being connected to anyone in a leadership role in the church, you can always ask any of us uh, up front or, uh, and we're happy to do that connection. And the last thing I will say is next week is also a new member orientation. So if you're feeling moved to be a part of this church in a more formal way, we'd love to have you there to share with you. Let me know. Um, Jeff, I was going to reach out to you in the back to let you know about that, but uh, I'm telling you now. Um, so hope to see you there. If you want to come, let us know, and just as importantly, come by the office, including after worship today, and pick up a blue folder because as information about our congregation as well as the denomination, read that before our time together because we will test you. No, um, because we don't want to read it out loud to you is the real answer. So that way it can be a more organic conversation and less of a schoolhouse lesson. That's a lot, I know. Let's return then our hearts to worship, sitting or standing, singing together at number 257.
now as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.